Morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. A special welcome if you're visiting us today, and it is lovely to have Moji's mum here from Nigeria. We really hope you enjoy your time with us. Please stay and have a cup of <coughs> tea or coffee with us after this service. Just turn left outside the door and you'll find the refreshment station there. <coughs> Our service today is being led by staff and students from the Scottish Baptist College. So along with Lena, we welcome Ian Birch, who's principal of the college, and Irene and Martin, whose second names I've not been allowed to know. So maybe you can tell us later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We thank you very much for coming and we're really looking forward to you leading us in worship this morning. Thank you all. Our evening service at 7pm will be led by Jeff Evans and that service will be held around the corner. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let anyone who are feeling at odds with life come. Come and find peace. Let any who are sad come and find comfort for your aching hearts. Let any who feel worn and weary come and find rest for your souls. Let any who are afraid come and find renewed courage. Let any who carry the burden of guilt come, find forgiveness and restoration. Let any who yearn to understand come and enroll into Christ's school of discipleship. Let all who are happy come and find outlet for your joy. Let all who love the Lord come Come and let your love overflow in praise. And that's what we're invited to do as we sing our first song together, which has traveled far, far from us, from South America. So we're going to do a tiny bit in Spanish. Santo, santo eres, which means holy, holy is he. Santo, alleluia. And then we'll go into English. Maybe if you like the song next time we can do the full thing in Spanish. Um, but this time we'll stick mostly to English and that is going to be our song of praise and thanksgiving. We'll also need help of two people, maybe of younger age, uh, to provide some, some percussions for this. It's one of those songs, you know, South, South America and we can kind of enter into the spirit. So, because it's probably new for you, we'll enter gently, and when you feel like you know it, you, you join in with your full, full voice and full body. Okay? But this is how it goes. Thank you. 
blanket to the helpers. I think that worked well. Well, this is the first Sunday in Lent, of course. Thank you. And as we, as we think about it and what it might mean for our journey through these 40 days until Easter this year, we will hear and we will take part in a psalm that will be read in many churches today, an extract from Psalm 25. Ian is going to read the words of the psalm for us, but we will also sing a very easy refrain with which the psalm starts. Okay, and that will be our participation. So after a few verses, you will see this on the screen. We'll, we'll sing it twice first and then just once, but I'll also give you a, a, a quick uh, note of how it sounds. And this is how it goes. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. To you, I lift my soul. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. and upright is the Lord therefore he instructs sinners in the way he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees 
For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. placed on us by others or by the weight of our own choices. Please pity the folly of our choices. Forgive those who have burdened us and grant us your rescue, your relief. To you, O Lord, we come with disheveled spirits, some of us feeling lost and alone, some disoriented. Oh God of Jesus, we really need your guidance. So in hope we come to you. To you, oh Lord, we come because our circumstances can change so quickly and we need the strength, the constancy and merciful care that you alone can give us. Oh God of Jesus, we are in deep trouble and we need your loving mercy. We need your encouragement, your presence with us. So in trusting worship, we come to you. And to you we lift up our souls. Praying as your son Jesus taught all of us, his disciples, in the languages of our hearts, saying, Our Father, It's only fair to tell you a little bit about what this Scottish Baptist College is about. So I'm going to invite Ian first of all, and then Martin and Irene to to do that for us. Uh, Thank you, and and, uh, a big thank you to Katrina and to all of you this morning for uh, inviting us along to come and to share in your morning worship and to tell you a little bit about the Scottish Baptist College. Uh, We count that as a great privilege to come and share some news and some uh, information with you. Um, So if you know nothing about the Scottish Baptist College, we don't blame you for that. Uh, Sometimes that happens. Uh, But um, the the, the Scottish Baptist College was founded in 1894 when uh, the Baptist churches of Scotland realised that their ministers were obstructed from being educated in the main Scottish universities. And uh, a report from the Times says that ministry had fallen into a sad abeyance. 
uh, and the standard of ministry was was low. And so the uh, the Baptists of Scotland got together and um, pooled some money at one of their assemblies and formed a training institute uh, for Baptist ministers. So we've been around for a little while uh, in various locations in Glasgow. There's been an, a number of sites uh, and a number of buildings which have housed the Scottish Baptist College. Today we are housed in Paisley. We, have, we hire some rooms in the University of the West of Scotland. And the Scottish Baptist College, although we remain independent and a private college, uh, we are also very closely embedded in the, in the University of the West of Scotland in the Department of Education and work very closely with them. So our students have a, a rich experience of university life and also training in our own college there in Paisley. So um, we've, we, there's a photograph of a few uh, suspects who were loitering around one day and we managed to gather them together. This is some of our student body and uh, <coughs> snap a picture of them. We have, um, this year we have 31 students uh, in the college. Not all of them are Baptists by any means. Only about half of the students that we have are Baptists. We have some from the uh, Salvation Army, from the Church of the Nazarene, from independent churches, from the Church of Scotland. Uh, so quite a, a variety. So the college is very ecumenical uh, in that sense. And, and that's a great blessing to us because it means that when people share their experience and engage with one another in class, we get many different perspectives on the Christian faith being shared together. And that's good training for people who are in Christian service for the future. You'll see there's uh, quite a wide range of ages as well and, uh, and uh, genders and different backgrounds. When I first went to, to teach at the college 10 years ago, uh, the college was mainly older men, uh, nearly all men, uh, on a second career and uh, it was all quite sombre. And now it's, uh, now it's a college that's, that's full of life and vibrancy. Many, many uh, young people who have just left school, 17, 18, uh, come into college uh, to train and so college is a very exciting and enjoyable place to be to study next picture please you know so what kind of people are studying at uh, the baptist college you might think that everybody at the baptist college has come along in order to train to be a baptist minister that is not true uh, in fact out of our 31 students i think only nine People are training intentionally at the moment to, to go into Baptist ministry. And we have quite a number of, uh, of others who are, are thinking about other spheres of Christian service. So come, they come along to the Baptist College because we provide a degree in theology, uh, which allows people to explore their faith. But they do that in a constructive sort of evangelical tradition, uh, which builds faith up and help, but helps people to think critically about their, their faith too. So some uh, are going on to teacher training after they've done their first degree with us. Uh, one student last year left to go into postgraduate computer science. Some went to uh, overseas mission in Cambodia. One student went on to postgraduate study in theology in, in Amsterdam at the sister college, the, you know, the International Baptist Seminary in Amsterdam. One of our students went to work for Alpha. Some are in church planting. One went to work at the Abernethy Christian Centre. Uh, and some others go on into other forms of Baptist ministry. So a wide variety of vocational aspirations amongst our students, uh, which also adds to the, the vibrancy and the life of our college. 
So in terms of, of what we aim to do as a college, uh, I, I meet sometimes people who, who think that going to college is going to sort of knock your faith down and take away the joy of, you know, of knowing the Lord and things like this. Um, but at, at the heart of what we are and what we do, we seek to be relevant to our contemporary society and to, to train people and to educate people to be able to, to communicate the, the Christian faith in a way that connects with people's questions and issues today. We seek to root people in the Christian tradition to teach history and theology and to teach people what it is to be a Christian today, to, to be a link in the chain that passes on the baton of Christian faith through the generations. And we stand in the gap in this moment in history, passing on faith to those who will come after us. So that rootedness is very important. We very intentionally build community as a college. Somebody phoned me up actually on Friday and, uh, and uh, said, hello there, he said, I live in Wick, but I would, uh, I would like to take your courses. Is there any possibility that um, you could set up a video link to boom pictures to me in Wick? So, uh, so we talked about that a little for a little while, and I said, well, actually, the way that we work is that we build communities, but we don't really do that kind of training um, because being together face-to-face is what the Christian life is about. Uh, and so community life is, is at the heart of what we do teach people to be missional to think about what it means not just to share the christian faith amongst ourselves as important as that is but to share it with others and mission is not everything pastoral work is also important caring for the christian community and we train people in that as well most of all we teach people to be hopeful because there's a lot of talk today, as, as you well know, about the demise of the church in Scotland and how few people are in assemblies like this on a Sunday. But we believe that Jesus said he would build his church and he will do that. And so we teach people to be hopeful, to be optimistic, to trust in God and to put their faith in him for the future. So I've brought two live specimens of... Uh, of Babs's College student uh, along this morning, Irene and Martin, and they're just going to tell you a little bit about life uh, as a student at the college. Thank you. So uh, thanks for allowing us to come this morning. Uh, Martin and I um, are obviously students at the college. I'm a first-year student, and Martin is much older than me. He's in third year, uh, and uh, we're both uh, students at the college this year. What we thought we would do is we thought we'd have a few questions that you might want to ask us, so we've kind of come up with a few questions. Uh, Ian fortunately answered a couple of them already, so we're going to have to come up with some more. But the bottom line is I thought we'd just give you a wee flavour of what the college is like. So as Ian says, it is a real community and uh, we meet Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays in the college. So the main teaching part is ha- happens Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays where the classes happen. Uh, we work in two year groups together. So first and second year groups work together and the third and fourth year groups together. Uh, and we do different subjects. So this block, uh, the first and second years, we're doing ethics uh, we're doing um, culture and we're doing um, church, history. church history. Thank you. <laughs> Do you know, I've, I've been reading so much about it, I've forgotten what it is. So uh, that's what we're doing. Mark, do you want to see what we're, you're doing? Just yeah, now? so we are doing Christ and Church, which is looking at Christology, the study of Christ, and ecclesiology, the study of church, the clues 
in the name. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, some of the, the fourth years obviously have a, a day off for dissertation. Third and fourth years and second years do a, a placement one day a week uh, in the second semester. And the other ch- the other class that I'm taking currently in the third year is creative homiletics. Mm-hmm. So you'll be able to judge whether or not that's worked for, <laughs> for the, <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, well, we'll just go into a wee... Yeah, go for it. We'll just go a wee back and forth with some questions. So, Irene, what does a... What's distinctive about the Baptist College for you? Um, I came from a teaching background. I actually took very early retirement last summer <laughs> uh, to do something intentional about my faith. Uh, I've been teaching for I'd been teaching for about thirty odd years, and within the school, loved it, loved teaching, loved being with the, the children. But I wasn't able really to specifically preach or do kind of intentionally uh, bring my Christian faith to the fore. So to change over and to come to the college meant me becoming a student instead of a teacher, uh, which has been amazing. It's been absolutely great. So it's distinctive because there's such a wide range of people who are there. They come from different backgrounds. They come from different teaching um, but the amazing bit about it is, is that every morning uh, during coffee time, we have a time for prayer. We have a time where we can read our Bibles together uh, and we share with one another. So I think what's distinctive is the sense of Christian community yeah. within the church. Yeah. I would agree. I, th- I think, yeah, like Ian and Irene's just touched on, there's a lot of diversity within the community, you know, a, a range of ages, different folk from different backgrounds. And I have really... You know, it sounds a bit glib, but that does make all the difference. You know, you're talking to people with real life experience from different backgrounds, different things going on. It's just, yeah, it's, it's nice. It, it feeds into your own reflection. It makes you think of things in a different way. Um, what about next? How does the college help you grow in leadership and ministry? Um, do you want to start this one? Okay. Yeah, well, I suppose it's, it's helped me grow in as much as, like, like I say, I've been exposed to different people's stories, I've been exposed to different perspectives academically as well. Uh, I was actually, I was raised Roman Catholic, and then I came to faith for myself in a Baptist church, so I already had a wee bit of a a blend there, but I suppose yeah. But being exposed to different perspectives, being exposed to different ways of thinking, yeah, just expanding how I think of faith. It's expanded how I, I suppose how I see God. Not in the, not so much in regard for God, but in more like I see elements now. I think of faith and of practice that I probably didn't quite capture before and, and that's that is directly down to the kind of breadth of uh, kind of reading and breadth of different perspectives that I've, I've been exposed to about yourself yeah um i'm actually uh, an elder in my own church so um i've been a christian for a long time and uh, i've led sunday school and i've been this, all that kind of thing so i've actually had lots of leadership opportunities within my own church and just in my, my job so what's the difference about going to the college what it really gives you is a real academic background, loads of reading that you would never expect to do. Uh, you've read your Bible, you kind of think that you know it all, and then you go to college and it, you get blown out of the water every single day. Your mind gets blown every single day. But what it does do as well is it strengthens what you know. So it gives you a real background to uh, where you're going next, and it gives you a confidence that what you're doing is, is supported by other you know, uh, people, um, other teaching, and also looking at the knowledge that's around within the college has just been amazing. Mm. Yeah. So, so I mean, what do you think some of the challenges are that you would face? 
Right, for me, the biggest challenge, and actually it's coming into late just now, um, is we read all the time, but we don't necessarily read the Bible all the time. Yeah. You read lots of academic stuff, you read lots of um, people's opinions about things and so on. So for Lent, um, my challenge for Lent was to try and still do the reading, <laughs> um, continue to do the reading, but actually set aside a proper time every day to just come closer to God. Not to even read a note about anything, but actually just to read my Bible. Mm. So I would say that's the challenge, to stay close. Yeah, I would say it was similar. Yeah, similar to me. Keep, keep the main thing the main thing. You know, because you can get caught up and it's, it's an academic course and it's good and it's mind-stretching and, and that feeds into your, your soul on one level. But, you know, what we're called to is a personal relationship with Jesus. And so I suppose just, yeah, keeping myself... Get my priorities right in that way is not a huge challenge, but it's yeah, it's something to bear in mind. And like you say, Lent's a, a good kind of time of year, as good a time of year as any for really kind of taking stock and reflecting and, and wanting to go up a gear with that. You know, so. Okay. Well, thank you very so, much. So I'm now going to do a wee bit of teaching. Hooray, hope. I'm going to take this out, hopefully. Okay, so I've got some questions for you. I hope you'll join in. Um, how many of you can speak another language other than English? And if you can, I don't know where this will go. Uh, what language do you speak? Norwegian. Can you say good morning over Norwegian? Good I like it. I might not be able to reach that, so I'm going to leave that down. Okay, so some of you can speak a foreign language. Now, this is just now hands up. Hands up if you can play another an instrument. Put your hands up if you can play an instrument. Good. Hands up if you can ride a bike. Hands up if you can play chess. Hands up if you can change a tyre, either on a bike or on a car. Yeah? Okay, now I have a question for you, and I don't want you to shout out, I just want you to think about it. When you wanted to learn a, an instrument, or whether you wanted to um, play chess, or whether you wanted to ride your bike, did you, the night before, 
before you went to bed, say, tomorrow I am going to be able to play chess. And then in the morning, magically, you get up and you know all the rules and you know what all the pieces do and you know how to, to move everything. Is that how it works? And all I want to do is a yes or a no. Thank you. Brilliant. Okay, so no. So you, you don't just go, I want to do this, and then it happens like that. What do we need to do to help us to do these things? What is it that we have to do? Practice and learn. So I've got my first picture here. This might have been what school looked like for some of you. It was a wee bit before my time. But what do you think they're learning to do? What do you think they're learning? They just look as though they're learning to be miserable, actually. But <laughs> so, um, so this is the first group. What do you think the second group are looking like? These look like a wee bit better. They look a bit happier. Boys and girls at the back, what do you think they're learning there? What's on their wall? Can you see? Yes, they're learning colours. What else might they be learning? Can you see? Is it too far away? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ma pizza making maybe. I think it's geography on this side and maybe there's lots of books there. Next one, Lena. What do you think these people are learning to do? Learning to read, yeah, good. Next one. Ride a bike. Play the piano. This is what I want to do. To crochet. I'm desperate to learn to crochet, but I, one of these things where I hope that the night before I'm going to say, tomorrow I can crochet and I can do it without practicing. Okay, next one. So, when you're learning, what do you need to learn? What do you need to learn? A teacher. Fantastic. So you need a teacher. Who has got a favourite teacher? Someone that they really love. What's your favourite? Miss Curry. What's good about Miss Curry? She's never angry. Oh, yes. Oh, how good is that? Who else has got a favourite teacher? Yes. What about her? She never shouts. Great. So she teaches really well and she never shouts. Yeah. Uh -huh. She never shouts. I love it. Yeah, good. Do you know what's amazing about teachers? Good teachers know their subject. Good teachers know all about what they're trying to tell people. And not only that, but you can trust them not only to know their subject, but to be able to demonstrate it. I am actually a PE teacher by training. So I could say to you, do you know what? This is how you do a cartwheel. You put one hand down, the next one, and the next one. Or I could just go, look. I'm not going to do it because I've got But one of these days I should have done it. Um, if you're a teacher then the teacher needs to not only know their subject, but be able to demonstrate it. And on the picture here, Jesus was called the teacher. And his disciples were like his students. And they asked him to teach them about life, about God. And the amazing thing about Jesus was, he not only told us what God was like, 
but he demonstrated what he was like. He showed God's love. He healed people. He taught people. He freed people. He was an amazing teacher. And you know, in Matthew chapter 11, the Bible tells us that Jesus says, learn from me. So it doesn't matter what age you are. You could be 3, 33, 53, 103. Jesus says, learn from me. Thank you, Irene. So before our young people go to their activities and their school, we're going to sing a song together. A refrain that we already heard the, the choir sing to us at the start of the service. Come and see, come and see. I am the truth, I'm the way and the truth, said he. So let's sing it together. Let's stand if we are able and sing. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 
come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. Well, on this uh, first Sunday of Lent, and thinking about the, the work of the college, um, the three of us got together and we were talking about and uh, thinking about what we might share this morning from God's word. And uh, we felt it was very appropriate to, to reflect on this saying of Jesus, this prayer of Jesus uh, that we've just read from Matthew's gospel, where Jesus speaks to the crowd and particularly to his disciples and says to them, learn from me and that has been a theme running through our service this morning in various ways learn of me people sometimes wonder uh, you know what it what happens to you when you you come to the uh, the baptist college there are two things that we have uh, in our focus very intentionally for those who, who come to the college first of all is education uh, we teach people things uh, and give them information but alongside the work of education, we're also very much focused on the business of formation. In order to prepare people for Christian service, for Christian ministry, for a life of discipleship in some ways, we also focus on the business of formation, the kind of character that is needed in order to be an effective and a fruitful servant of the Lord Jesus. And those two themes of education and formation seem to, to, to coalesce in what Jesus has to say just in this text here. And it seems very appropriate for, for the first Sunday in Lent to focus our thoughts on this. Learn of me. It's interesting that uh, in this context, um, Jesus also in his prayer has these words. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. And that reminds us that uh, in order to be somebody who learns of Jesus, that you do not have to be phenomenally clever. You don't have to have been a contestant on University Challenge or have won mastermind in order to learn of Jesus. Because this is not just about acquiring information and stuff that we, we come to know. Learning of Jesus is about learning who he is. It is learning to be like him, learning to be his representatives, learning to be formed in his image and to take on his character. What we are about as God's people is about being the body of Christ in the world and so our task is not merely to learn about Jesus but it is to learn of him himself as a person as the son of God the one who comes to set us an example of what it is to be a true human being in God's world so as I was reading these uh, words over again this week and preparing for today my mind was drawn particularly to the word humble where Jesus says come and learn of me for I am humble and gentle 
I was thinking what a challenge it is for us as Christ's followers, as his disciples, to walk in his steps and follow his path. What a challenge it is for us to learn the way of humility and gentleness in our world because it is extremely countercultural today uh, to walk in the way of humility and gentleness. I don't know any, whether any of you were like, uh, like us last night um, watching the fall of Troy uh, on the BBC. And, uh, and you will be aware that in the Greek culture of the time of Jesus, humility and gentleness were not virtues that were particularly prized by anybody who wanted to get on in life. The kind of virtues that most people aspired to were forcefulness and power and strength and being able to crush your enemies and those around you in order to get on. And Jesus is quite contrary to all of that and contrary even to the other teachers of his time that prized being intellectually superior to those around them. Rabbis who, who uh, desired to know more than anybody else and, and to, to be at the top of the tree. And Jesus sets himself up as, as somebody quite contrary to that. As he says, I am the one who is humble and gentle. Learn of me. Be like me in the world around you. Jesus was not embarrassed to speak of himself as humble and to call his disciples to be humble. His very first uh, sermon in the book of Matthew, uh, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, has this amongst it, the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. Most people think that they will inherit the earth by going out there and grabbing all that they can and pressing in and being successful. How hard it is to hear this word. Blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. Those who walk God's way, who trust themselves to God's purposes and allow him to reward them in whatever way he sees fit. The word that is spoken of Jesus at the end of his ministry when he rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Blessed is he who comes to you humble and riding on a donkey. And Jesus shows that the purposes of God and the salvation work of God is achieved through humbleness and gentleness and sacrifice and laying down one's life. Not fighting and uh, striking out against the enemy. So what is the humility that Jesus calls us to, that he, the example that he himself sets for us? As the humble one, we see in Jesus somebody who was not self-promoting, but a servant of others. I was thinking of that this week when it was said of Boris Johnson giving a speech about Brexit, that this was nothing to do with the fortunes of our country or anything else. It was about his own positioning of himself to be prime minister. Jesus was not on a self-promotion mission. He came in order to serve and to give his life for others. He was not shouty or domineering, but he spoke with quiet wisdom. He didn't have to raise his voice and shout down people who disagreed with him. As the humble one, he rejected violence and revenge, even when he was struck on the cheek and beaten on the back and nailed through his hands. He did not fight back. As the humble one, he came to sit with the poor 
and the needy and the outcast and the sick and the marginalized. And he ate at their tables and he encouraged them in their way. So what he taught about the way of humility, the way of self-surrender, he embodied in his own life. And so, reflecting on that theme, Jesus saying, learn of me, I am humble and gentle. Let us also hear this word from the Apostle Paul. Let this mind be in you, that was also in Christ Jesus. He suffered on your behalf and left you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. And now Martin's going to bring a short reflection uh, on the same text and then Lena also. Thanks. I wonder if you can think of a time maybe in your own lives sorry I, don't, I wonder if you can think of a time a story <clears throat> in your lives maybe in childhood maybe at another time where you've had a relationship with someone be that in the family or be that a friend or someone at church, someone at work someone at school someone who you maybe admired and, and looked up to and someone who had something that, that you wanted to have maybe a skill or they maybe, maybe knew how to do something that you wanted to know how to do. I think <clears throat> of my own relationship with my father, particularly in the first 10 years, <clears throat> 10 years of my life. Now, when, I was, when I was a young boy in the early years of primary school, it was noticed that my hand-eye coordination when it came to things like writing and other physical things was not particularly good. And at about six or seven, I was diagnosed with dyspraxia. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's, it's just a, it's a basic condition that affects hand-eye coordination and, and other coordination with, within the body. I, I, to this day, cannot do a forward roll, so I, I thank Irene that she didn't ask us to do a wee gymnastics lesson this morning. Um, I couldn't tie my shoelaces until I was seven and couldn't ride a bicycle until I was 12, despite owning one from the age of five. So my coordination was poor as a wee boy, and there were certain things that wee boys do that I felt unable to do. My dad was not not the most physical guy. He wasn't Bear Krells, but my dad was an electrician and to me he was a bit of a hero growing up because he could he was very handy and very practical and he could do things I felt I couldn't do. And so in my younger days I got to spend a lot of time with my dad as you do as a as a kid. And one thing that I was keen for him to teach me was a little bit of carpentry because he used to love on a Saturday Saturday to go out and potter about in the shed in the garage and build little things. He built me a cricket bat one time. Why you build a Scottish kid a cricket bat, I do not know. <laughs> but he did. And so one day he was making some shelving and he was putting it to put up some shelves and he said to me, come with me, Martin, I'll show you how to make these shelves. So I went out into the garage and there was all the wood and all the timber and completely in a, a raw state. And he said to me, now, what do you think we do with this? And I said, oh, we'll cut it up. And he said, no, you don't cut it up. He says, you have to sand it down. You have to measure it out first. You have to do all this stuff. And as you can tell, I've, I've not remembered any of that. <laughs> but afterwards, there's a whole lot of sawdust, as there would be. And I, being a, just a wee kid, kind of absentmindedly went to just kind of leave the garage. And Dad said, no, come back. Don't, don't leave me just to tidy this up myself. Come back and, and clean up this sawdust in case your mum should come in and she'll be raging with us because of sawdust will be everywhere and so I thought okay that's fine 
And then another time we were out fishing. My dad used to go fishing, and it was the first trip I got to go with my dad fishing. We were over in Ireland visiting some relatives, and I was excited to go fishing with my dad for the first time. And so we went out, and to get to the wee lock where we were going to be fishing that day, we had to walk through some fields, and that involved going through some fences and, and opening some gates. My dad was always very careful to say, you need to shut that gate over because there could be cows or whatever running about here and you, could, you need to shut the gate. It's really important to shut the gate when you're out and about in the countryside. And right, right, okay, that's fine. We got down and we were fishing and it took us forever, you know, that way when you're a child and you have no patience and we're fishing. It's not even like fly fishing where you cast out and reel in, cast out and reel in. It's just course fishing where you're casting out and you're sitting there for hours so I'm twiddling my thumbs and my dad's reading this book with the football and the radio in the background and I'm just twiddling my thumbs and it seemed, seemed like hours it must have only been about half an hour 40 minutes and then suddenly a wee tug on the line and this fish my dad reeled in this trench a lovely fish big silvery looking thing and he hands it to me and he goes now put your hands in the water first and touch the fish I touch the fish amazing to feel a fish for the first time it was all slippery and slimy you know that way as a kid that you're obsessed with the feel of things it's like wow what is this he's like throw him back in so I threw him back in I said dad why did I have to put my hands in the water first and he said because fish have a protective slime on them and if you put your hand on the fish you take that slime off you need to put your hands in the water first in order to hold the fish now I've never been fishing since that day and hour I didn't really take to it that day. I'm not a carpenter. I don't really like cutting out bits of wood. That's not what appeals to me on a, of a Saturday. But my coordination has improved over the years. Different things have been a part of that. Learning to drive, I taught myself guitar. Um, different things. You know, you grow up and you get better at that, at which you feel weak. But the relationships that you go to and the people you look up to you learn so much more than the stuff you wanted to learn. I wanted to learn how to cut up bits of wood. I've not taken that on. I've not taken on how to fish. But I've never forgotten that when you walk through a field, you're considerate of the animals around you, you're considerate of people around you. I've never forgotten that if you do a job for someone or if you're in someone's home, you make sure it's tidy. Because what we're called to in this passage that we read is to learn of me, not learn from me. So I guess what I want to say not to touch too much on what Lena's going to be saying but it's about relationship with Jesus we're asked to take his yoke upon us so yeah we're asked to get like an ox gets under a yoke we're asked to, to take up his yoke and to do his work but the yoke that we take upon us is a yoke of relationship we learn of him, we don't learn from him Jesus was a carpenter, unlike me but we don't go to him for skills and we don't go to him, we don't look at him, although he was a great preacher and a great healer and all the rest of it, and, and see how to do things. We look at him and see what to be and who to be and who to be with. Take your yoke upon you and learn of me. That's just what I'll, what I'll leave with you. Thank you, Martin. I was really taken by those words about the yoke as I was thinking about this passage set for us this morning. Uh, a familiar symbol of burden bearing, of oppression, of subjugation, yokes laid on animals, you know, 
on oxen, and also prisoners of war in Jesus' times, on slaves. Not something pleasant. But also, and we see the glimpses of that in our scriptures, yoke can be used with positive connotations, like an invitation to wisdom in the book of Sirach. This is what it says, put your neck under her yoke, wisdom's yoke, and let your souls receive instruction. The rabbis would use it as they would try to convey that obedience to the Torah, the, the law of the Lord, and, and, and living your life fully under that obedience as a yoke. Also being somebody's disciple, you were under your teacher's yoke. Well, in some ways, Jesus' using the image of a yoke is perhaps not surprising. He never promised sweetness and, life, did he? and light, did he? He talked about suffering. He talked about rejection. He talked about the cost of following him. And yet, in this passage, he describes his yoke as easy or good or kind, and his burden as a light burden. And these words are a bit oxymoronic, aren't they? They are they're contradiction in terms. Burden and easy. Yoke and, and good. Or yoke and kind. And it's this tension, this contradiction, that I think we are invited to consider this morning as well. On the surface... A yoke suggests something that puts you into bondage, something that diminishes your freedom, narrows your choice. But the emphasis I hear this morning in Jesus' invitation is, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke. Ditch other yokes you might be carrying. It's a lesson that took me a while to learn that we are always yoked. I've learned that lots of freedom usually means we end up choosing again and again from a really narrow band of all the possible choice. Or even more, get paralyzed by all the choice completely and just get stuck, not moving at all. Does that sound familiar? And on the other hand, when there is a framework of some sort, a yoke, if you will, then our freedom and our energy can be directed in a particular way that is productive, that, that actually brings something good. A good yoke helps shift weight in a, in, a, in a right way, and it makes it easier to pull stuff or carry stuff. And in that sense, if the yoke fits, it can be a good, kind, and easy thing for ourselves and perhaps that is the point of Lent as we learn to give up something or take something up as a discipline as a framework as a yoke that invites us deeper into the Lord's work and discipleship but I suspect we need to continue keep watching which yoke we're bearing. Jesus had a lot to say about the yoke of the Pharisees. Remember him criticizing 
uh, the, the religious leaders about the yoke that they put on the people, which is all about keeping the rules of, of s focusing on the small things and forgetting the mercy and justice, which rings so loud in the Torah, in the Lord's law. And it ends up not as something easy, but something that makes people laboring, makes them being heavy laden with burdens. So it is a yoke. All that stuff about the cost of discipleship is still very real. But if we will take Jesus' yoke rather than anybody else's yoke, it will be good to bear. It is good to bear. It leads to life. It, it fits. That's the point of it. it. It works. And so it leads to God. It brings wholeness. It works towards justice and peace. And perhaps one more thing, Martin, as you were talking about relationship, the yokes, or the yoke was often for pairing two animals together, wasn't it? And that's the image I have when I think about this invitation of Jesus. It's something that binds us with Jesus into that relationship that you so beautifully described and into relationship with others who follow him. So in a very real sense, we here are yoked with each other. And paradoxically, when we are yoked, we become more free. These are some of the thoughts that we wanted to share with you as we kept thinking about the passage. And as we continue to reflect on it, we're invited to sing a song together, a hymn of our response. <coughs> How clear is our vocation, Lord, when once we heed your call?
In our prayers for others this morning, we'll once again incorporate silence as a way of cultivating either a way of cultivating a prayer posture as a more appropriate response than direct words, or of allowing for a more personal intercession. So let us pray. Lord, as we turn our thoughts towards a world in need and think of the events of this last week, we come with a heavy heart for those victimized by senseless deeds and senseless crime. We think especially of those in the United States reeling yet again from gun crime. In the silence that follows, we bring before you not only the families of those who have lost lives in the specific situation of Florida, but all those victims the world over of crimes for which policy and legislation have proven effective, but have been refused or neglected. We bring before you the challenges currently rocking aid agencies across the world. We realize the complications involved here and the massive implications should funding be cut. In the silence that follows, we bring before you the charities and organizations struggling to come to terms with their own internal wrongdoing and with the right response to media and government pressures. We also bring before you those who are recipients of foreign aid, at whatever level, state, group, or individual. In the silence that follows, we bring before you the systemic reasons for inequality, poverty, and everything that leads to the reliance upon aid. And we pray especially for those who stand to suffer in whatever way should their aid to whatever amount be cut. Finally, we bring before you the sufferings and impoverishments of those we know personally, whether family, friends, neighbors, or acquaintances. Pain, victimization, and lack of basic need happens at multiple levels, we know. And so in the silence that follows, we bring before you those in our hearts for whom we have special, perhaps even intimate concern. We ask, Lord, that our silences this morning ring out Ring out to your ears so attuned to our needs that in your grace, your mercy, and your abundant love you will hear the emphatic nature of our prayers to bring comfort, relief, and a peace that surpasses all language and all understanding.
Amen. is really yours and with that reminder we want to offer to you all that we have both the gifts that we have set aside for the work and the mission of our church and for whatever remains in our pockets our bank accounts in our homes and in our calendars continue to teach us to willingly put under your yoke all that we have and all that we are our resources our time, and our very selves. We pray this in the name of our teacher, Jesus. Amen. And to send us off, we have a song of peace, which is a blessing, a blessing song. So we'll sing it several times for those of us who, for whom it is new. And hopefully by the end of it, as we finish it, we will... We will be able to wish peace to each other. But that is our wishes from the college. This is me and the college, our college, to the church. And this is hopefully, because this is my church too, our church's wish to the college uh, and to each other. Peace, peace to you. We bless you now in the name of the Lord. So if we're able and willing, let's stand and wish each other peace. Peace.